0: This week, we steal cars, virginities, and maybe some hearts. Welcome to Monsters of the Midwest. Hey! (laughs) Hey. Okay, so... I, when I wrote this, uh, part of this many episode saga, uh, (laughs) there was something in the headlines that pissed me the fuck off that I thought our listeners needed to hear. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, it's from the New York Post, and it was actually posted on, it went viral on the 23rd, March 23rd, so we're a little bit past that. Um, And I didn't look into seeing if it's still being posted, but this was sickening enough. So...
1: Oh here, um, here we go!
0: Remember, remember our friend from Chicago, R. Kelly. Yeah. Well, he's fucking back and going viral again, um, because he, I guess, is imprisoned with a guy who is the father of somebody that is R. Kelly's newest BFF. Um, so she is posting a video of him ser- like serenading and singing to her from behind bars. Um, while she was visiting her dad in jail. Um, he She posted, R. Kelly did me a favor and sang for me. Uh, because he's really good friends with my dad. And they're serving time together. It wasn't weird. And it wasn't for money. Um, it was very impromptu. We didn't plan it at all. Um, he sang me love letter. Shocking that that would be the fucking song he chooses. <laughs> um, and her hashtag on Twitter tiktok and on instagram is hashtag r kelly free him though ew yeah no yeah. um she also had multiple tweets um as of the 23rd there might be more now um saying he's a really nice dude dad handed him the phone i asked him to sing or and then he asked him to sing for me and he did it was great and i apparently you can hear inmates like laughing their asses off in the back of the video like that oh, R. Kelly's really I'm, grasping, the I believe that it was a young chick, right? Yeah. But there is a video of it. I don't know if it's still available. I, you know, because all of his shit just seems to disappear. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, so in the video, she's basically like screaming and nutting her pants, like, <laughs> listening to him saying is fucking disturbing.
1: How fucking old is she? Disturbing.
0: It didn't say. I'm not sure. Oh. I don't know her name, but her uh, handle is at, I don't want to pronounce this wrong, so it's J-I-Z-Z-L-E-Z-O-L-D-Y-K-K. Right. E- yeah. Uh, Jizzle dick? I don't <laughs> know. I mean, <laughs> these fucking Gen Zers, man. Oh I don't Oh my I don't God.
1: Know. I love it. but <laughs> But yeah. I mean,
0: I know I've been holding on to that one because we were going to record this part last week, and I had it in in the pocket. So,
1: Yikes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's nothing. That's nothing to be proud of. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not. No. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He's in there because he's a fucking predator, and here he is behind bars, still trying I, to be a goddamn predator. I'm sorry, but out here
0: doing shit. No out thanks. Here doing shit.
1: Right. Creep. So,
0: um, I'm backing all those inmates that were. Uh, and they're laughing at them. Um, I hope they beat his fucking ass after this. That's all I have to say.
1: Yeah, I all I all I want to do is like the Nelson laugh from The Simpsons. Ha ha! <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, right. Oh damn! What a f- what a tool bag. Okay. Yeah. So,
0: um, moving on to what everybody is here for. Let's talk about some more Manson. Yes, Manson. So we are going back to October best month ever, in 1951 um, when he was transferred to the Honor Bridge Camp. His aunt was there and she told the administrators that she would let him stay with her and she would help him get work. She would help him just get back on track. Like, please don't imprison him anymore. Like, he doesn't deserve this. He's been living his life, like, behind bars. Can we not do this? Yeah. And so in 54, he was 19 years old he was released from incarceration and, you know, under the pretense that he had to go live with his aunt. That was, you know, they said, okay, fine. Like they begged and pleaded, wrote many, many letters, and it was like, okay, fine, you can go live with your aunt. Um, While he was living with his aunt, he attended the Nazarene Church with his family, and he was exposed to a very, very conservative, strict Christian doctrine that basically taught him that Men were higher ranking in superiority to women. Women weren't shit. Um, Oh. You know, and in the path of salvation, women needed to give up his, give up their worldly possessions and your ego is everything and they are here to serve you. So, you know, great Uh, teachings there. The 50s be wildin'. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Charlie put these, you know, teachings in his little pocket and he's like, okay, I'm going to make use of those later. You know, 19 year old Charlie was like, I don't really know, but I like what he's saying. I like what this man's bringing to the table. Oh, okay. So, right. So being this new, like decently good looking dapper bad boy that just came into town, you know, he found himself a nice little love interest.
2: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: her name was Rosalie Willis. She thought. Uh, that he was just the bee's knees at the time, you the know. Bee's he had knees. that little. I think we posted the picture where he has his little like hair slicked back and all that with the suit on. Yeah, that yes. was from this time.
1: Oh, okay. So that was
0: from, with this time with his his uh, aunt. But he was good looking so, though. Yeah, yeah, he was a decent looking guy. So yes. um, one thing led to another, and shocker, she became pregnant. Whoops. Not even a year later.
1: You want to know why? So, because he didn't get taught any of that. Because he was too busy being locked up.
0: Right. Too busy being locked up. And the guy comes out. He's 19. I'm sure he has hormones. He's been stuck with a bunch of dudes. Like, of course. Right. But wait. So she said and told everybody she was pregnant. She claimed it. She was like, yeah, I'm really pregnant. Like, this is crazy. My parents are going to kill me. Blah, blah, blah. We have to get married. Because, you know, Midwestern, uh, whatever the fuck they make us do here. <laughs> you can't have children out of wedlock, basically. Yeah. So My mom um, had
1: one of those. Uh, she was 16. And she got married yeah. to uh Brandy's dad, my my sister's dad at the time. my grandpa was like, yep, "Oh am... hell no
0: <laughs> and and as we know, I had one of those two, not sixteen, <laughs> but you know twenty uh same same concept, but you know, so they get married in nineteen fifty five you know, and he's kind of like wondering, all right, uh, I don't know how this works, but I thought she was pregnant. But also in that time, they're married, so they don't use protection. And boom, Rosalie actually becomes pregnant uh, maybe three, four months into their marriage.
1: Oh, my
2: God, Um,
1: dude. You know what? I got some questions. (laughs) She tricked tricked him into marrying her because she lied about being pregnant.
0: Right. So, I mean, he's not getting at this point. At this point, he's not getting a very good insight with women. At all. No. Like, you know, with his mom being, like, a fucking mental head case crazy person, obviously. And then, like, the only good standing woman was his aunt, Ruth, that he went to live with. But then she shoved him into so much, like, women-hating church doctrines and constrict, like, you know, like, constricted his life so much. Like, that wasn't a super positive role model either. Right. It's,
1: Double-edged you know, sword just- thing going on.
0: Right, right. Um, So he, you know, he goes and gets like a a stupid job bagging groceries at the grocery store. Hey, I'm not saying that's a stupid job, but... He doesn't really think it's bringing, you know, ends meet to the table. So he decides to get a side hustle, as most people do, um, of stealing and selling cars. <laughs> Not that we, most of us, do that side hustle, oh, but that seemed to be that's what worked whole, for him.
1: Yeah, that's a whole other ball game of side hustling, right? Right. Um, so in
0: mid July, he convinced his pregnant love of his life, at at this point, uh, that they should just. Say, fuck off to the Midwest, kiss it goodbye, and we're going to California, because that's where dreams are made of.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, that's. I mean, that's what I thought when I was a kid, honestly. I thought, if you I mean, want to be everybody... anything, you, you go to California.
0: Right. I mean, I feel like that's what most kids think, or I don't know, in some way or form. Here's a side note, though. Mommy Dearest is currently residing in the state of California. So was that why he was really going there?
1: Did he Doesn't know really she say. was there? He was aware. Yeah. Oh, she needs, he needs guidance is what he needs. Something. (laughs) Um,
0: so, but I mean, all was good, but in September, uh, he was driving this, uh, nice, you know, new vehicle that he acquired (laughs) and took it across state lines, uh, got into a little bit of trouble with that, you know, taking a a car across state lines that was hundred percent stolen from the state of Ohio when caught himself a nice felony, you know? Oh, good. Add that to his...
1: Right, yeah. Um, Taken right after so, his mother. Yeah,
0: you know, what, I mean, uh... he's just really racking up the charges.
1: Yikes. So, okay. during
0: this, they said, you know, okay, well, he's had all these priors and this and that, like, but he's never had any psychiatric evaluation. So, let's throw him into that. Like, Let's see. Because like, there was um, a psychiatrist that was um, incorporated with this court wherever he went to court at that said, you know, let's just make sure. Cause like this keeps going on and nobody, he doesn't really have anybody to back him up. So let's just, let's just make sure. Yeah. Um, she deemed him okay. She said that he was fine. He wasn't, you know, psychotic. He wasn't that, you know, I mean that he had actually a higher than normal IQ. He was not genius level, but I mean, he, you know, Nature-wise, was good, good to go. Yeah, not psychotic. Uh, a good IQ, um, you know. And, of- and I will get deep into nature versus nurture in a couple more episodes, but so I don't want to ruin that there. Like right now, but yeah. just I mean, saying he, from
1: from Hurst, he could be a functioning member of society without any handicaps. Absolutely, absolutely, really well said.
0: Um, so given that they said, all right, we're not going to institutionalize you. We're just going to give you five years of non-reporting probation. Perfect. I mean, Thanks. that is probably exactly what he wants to hear. Like, thank you, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph.
1: Right. No um, reporting. I'm I'm right there. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's probably the best outcome it could have been, really.
0: Exactly. Exactly. But as
1: luck would have it,
0: um, he didn't take his ass to court in Los Angeles. Uh, sure <laughs> so didn't. he didn't... He didn't appear, and then he actually was called for something else in Florida, which resulted in a parole violation because it involved um, identity theft. (laughs) What
2: the fuck, Charlie?
0: I know, right? (laughs) So he was then uh, deemed to serve the rest of his sentence, which was three years in Terminal Island uh, that, in Los Angeles. I don't know. I've never heard of it. Sounds scary. Um, I don't know if it's like Riker. Right. I don't know if it's like Rikers or what. So while he was in prison there for his three year stint, Rosalie gave birth to their uh their son, Charles Manson Jr.
2: Oh good. And
0: if anybody listens to Small Town Murder, they know that a junior is never good. <laughs> a junior always indicates something bad. Yeah. So in this particular stay behind bars, this is where Charles Manson Sr would become the man he was destined to be, the one that we all know about.
1: Uh-oh. Um, in 3 years time. For a wh- Damn.
0: In 3 years, this is this was his changing moment. This is where shit just went fucking sour as as sour as they could.
1: Damn. So
0: okay. So for for a while Rosalie would visit him quite often, like, you know, bring the baby this and that, um, keeping up appearances. Uh, she eventually brought Mommy Dearest along with her. Uh-oh. And, uh, you know, I mean, then mommy was there, Rosalie was there, and he was actually doing pretty good. Thought there was like, hope, I guess, in what sense he could see it. Yeah. But eventually, um, you know, this young, uh, good-looking girl kind of lost some of her baby weight and decided she was going to go out. She found herself a nice captain savaho, and told Charlie to fuck off, and she was done with him.
1: Damn. Did she? Did she get lessons from his mother?
0: I My next thing was, does that sound familiar? Yes. Does that sound familiar? Yes. And
1: he got duped twice now. I mean, obviously, his mom put him through the ringer, no doubt. But now this chick is like, I'm going to do the same thing. If it worked for her, it's going to work for me.
0: (laughs) The exact (laughs) same thing. The exact same thing. So she served Charlie with divorce papers. And this act of betrayal is... under his thoughts, this is coming out of nowhere. Like, he did not right. see this coming. He thought things were good. He was planning, like, being a, you know, a family when he got out. This is the first family. Like, he, all he wants is a damn family. Yeah. You know, and he was, it gave him hope to be a better man on the outs so that he could have this family he strived for his entire life.
1: And she's like, fuck but that this, guy.
0: <laughs> this whole instance basically wiped away any empathy that he had for women ever because now oh. he was done. Oh, man. he was he was he was just completely over it. No longer a taken man. Um his focus, you know, went into just any influence that was around him at the time to like kind of, you know, give him something to look forward to, give him something to cling to. He literally felt Naked and afraid in the most biblical sense, I guess.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, I'm literally going to come out of here with nobody because with you left nothing. me. And then I have a child, which I'm sure she's not trying to have him see. Right.
0: Like, nothing. So he's just institutionalized again, stuck in there, no fucking hope. Um, so who are the first people to come and help the hopeless? fucking pimps he found himself in the corridor of multiple pimps and he found protection in them and found you know their guidance and he wanted to know how their hustle actually worked and how it was successful and you know they of course obtained that women ain't shit we don't give a fuck they're a paycheck this and that which is what he was taught in the church
1: that he went to with his aunt
0: oh yeah this is gonna be like a melting pot of just I wish it wouldn't happen type thing he's um, he's
1: learning from a pimp named Slickback
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so he That's, was absolutely
1: terrible just terrible
0: it is he was absolutely fascinated about like all their stories yeah. how they went about in recruiting women um, bringing them to you know their business model quote-unquote I guess I mean oh wow the, the main trick that he wrote about later on and talked about later on from this time or from these like teachings from these pimps was that go after girls who have self-esteem issues, preferably ones that have daddy issues and or have went through some sort of trauma. They are the easiest to get. Oh, man. So he, he definitely put that in his pocket for later, along with his misogynistic bullshit he learned from church.
1: Uh, good. He's, so, he's sounding like he's shaping up to be a well-rounded individual. I can't wait to see where this goes.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. So his family uh, his family. he's going to build, these women will take on a lot of these factors that he learned were, you know, quote-unquote um, obligatory, I guess, for his building of his empire. Okay. I can say these women would become you know the pimps would also say like you need these women to become completely dependent on you they need you know you in life to give them encouragement you need to basically love bomb them you need to you know i mean do all the nasty raunchy things we all know mentally that they did to control their lives
1: okay Um, yeah like trying to shape and mold them into what you want them to be Exactly, and what be- and then, what better way to do that than to tell them that they they mean a lot to you, or that they would be an asset to you in some way, and then they also needing someone for guidance, and you know that that person to cling onto. They're like, oh yeah, oh this sounds good,
0: or like nobody's gonna love you the way I love you. Right, you should just stay here with me, like that type of shit. Yeah,
2: so no. Thank they you. also
0: pointed, <laughs> right? They also pointed out that these type of women who have been through these traumatic experiences with daddy issues and that, they also know how to take a beating because they probably grew up with it. You would give them a nice beating every now and then and it will basically remind you that they are essentially worthless and they need you to survive.
1: Fuck that. Whatever pimp
0: told him that, like, fuck off, bro. They probably all say
1: something along those lines, though. Honestly, like, how else are you going to teach them how to do that type of, like, the the mindset, especially back in that back in that time, right? It's oh I know. It's very right. like this cut is and like- dry. Like this is this is the business model, quote unquote, that I'm following and it works a hundred percent of the time every time. It's like, you know, if you go to a strip club and you say, hey girl, you want to make some money on the side, they're like, yeah, then you do all the things that you just talked about and they feel like they need you as part of their lives because they can't do it without you.
0: Exactly. It's, it's sick. It really is. It is. So we're going to jump, you know, to the side a little bit and I'm going to talk about the prison that he was actually in just a little like morsels. We're going to get away from the whole pimp action. Um, (laughs) Okay. Thank you. So this, this, yeah, this this prison was actually super big on uh educational reform. And at okay. that time that was like a new a new thing cuz you know, it was an election year and they wanted to be like we need the funding, we're the better than everybody else type of thing yeah. basically. So uh, you, know, you know how that shit goes. Right. So they actually thought due to Charlie's, you know, high IQ um that he would benefit from taking courses like educational courses. Uh, would you like to know the course that they, they took him in? This was a four month course. Obviously it was forced because they said, you know, this, anybody that knows anything about being behind bars knows that they tell you. Do this and it's going to knock time off your sentence. Oh, So this right. was one of those things. Yeah. The more courses you're in, the more time you're going to get, you know, sliced off the end. Yeah. Or, you know, if you work, whatever. I mean, there's multiple things.
1: Yeah. Um, I've never been. So here's, But, you know, I can attest for that for other people that yeah. I do know.
0: <laughs> right. So this was one of those things like, okay, you know, we see that you base. they. I mean, they did the psyche eval. They did all this. I mean, they were honestly, they had some good in their mentality they really did they were trying to help out this young man you know take some time off his sentence see that he's going through a hard time i appreciate that right uh it went a little sour but i appreciate what they initially were trying to do
1: yeah you you had a a good heart your your heart was in the right place
0: right so where it went a little sour is they enrolled him in dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people that was the course four month course okay
1: (laughs) Alright. No. You done fucked up. So
0: the the Carnegie method resonated with Manson real well. Oh I This bet. was unlike anything he had ever heard before, and this was just like, Oh my gosh, like I'm drinking the fucking Kool-Aid.
1: Oh um, no. Oh, we're gonna talk about that yeah. soon too.
0: Yeah, right. So uh so the Carnegie that's why I threw it in there. <laughs> um so the Carnegie method basically believed that Human action boils down to two types of desire. So everything is all about, we're all desire-focused people, and there's two types of desire that we all focus on, sexual desire and the desire to achieve greatness.
1: I, I have um, both, yes. Right.
0: <laughs> so uh, most men of that age, you know, kind of take these two and entangle them a little bit, right. you know, and they're, they're very confused. So they wanted women to think that they were great so that they would have sex with them. You know they would yeah. they would think, "Oh my God, he's so great, so I just have this desire to have sex with him so that's where the fact that they put him in this class at you know nineteen years old was a really fucking big mistake, yeah, along with the other factors that are going on in his life. but
2: Damn. through these
0: methods that were taught in this class, he realized that I could use this teaching in another way too, sure. so sex could be used as power and influence. So that's what he kind of clung on to. Yeah. Um, Carnegie was a big teacher of the fact that if you want something from another person, you have to get them to believe that what you want was their idea in the first place.
1: Oh, shit. First of all, when I was
0: doing this research, I didn't realize that was Carnegie. And Carnegie, fuck off, bro. That is so stupid. <laughs> like, Really? I, oh, I don't it's, think it's, it's that
1: stupid. To,
0: oh, it, It's so. It's such a disgusting form of manipulation, and it's used all the time. And I cannot like. I was kind of like going back to all the times that I've been told something like that. Well, you need to make it like it's their idea. If it's their idea, and or like the times that I've used that, it's so sick. It's so sick, and I just yeah don't like it. But
1: it works, does it not?
0: I know, but I feel like (laughs) it fuels fire in the in the wrong direction. Yeah,
1: that is true, and we are we're hearing it here first, right? And you know, I mean, younger Amanda,
0: like, definitely use that to my advantage. But I'm just saying, like, oh, it's just, it's really, it's a poisonous teaching, I think.
1: It's frustrating, as, too. A, because as an,
0: as an adult, I think it's a poisonous teaching.
1: Yeah. I don't know. But as a teenager, this is a fantastic way to learn, right? Oh, yeah. Well, if I can just figure out a way for this person here to think that, me wanting to do x y and z is their idea then it takes a load off my shoulders it's like releasing your own guilt trip from your shoulders right oh i
0: guess i mean you do have a point but i'm just saying it. i just don't
1: like it it's not it's not good but it's no it's not yeah so
0: you know he is working with that and you have to make them think that you are fulfill- like fulfilling their ultimate desire um by you know how you manipulate their thinkings or their thoughts on the the issues um and if you want to fulfill your own desire you have to manipulate them into thinking that this is their idea they're doing it for the better good of everything blah 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 basically his whole fucking we'll just call his his family building plan his business plan basically like this is you know just really buttering that bread to get it as an essential thing Mm -hmm. so like the pimps gave him a vision of what is possible. Dale Carnegie had given him a basically a fucking blueprint of how he could attain this vision that he learned from these sick-ass individuals, in my opinion. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry. That got me heated. But, <laughs> all that manipulation just really heating up the joint, I guess.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so, so, he took these classes, you know, and he was actually released seven months early on good behavior.
1: Oh, yeah. Because of um, the class, right? Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, he was paroled, and Almost immediately when he got paroled, he got in trouble for uh, forging checks, yet again, and pimping um, on the streets.
1: Now I have, I have a quick Joker. question. I have a quick question. Yes. Did he make the parole board think it was their idea? <laughs> I, <laughs> Too fucking
0: shay. I don't know. You know but, what? You
1: know. They shouldn't be teaching that. Just saying.
0: Good on them. Good why right, why is that a fucking thing in print why are they teaching that? Like I don't
1: Oh yeah. teach Irritation. ceramics. Irritation. Okay. <laughs> teach teach
0: Teach fucking accounting. Teach how to balance your fucking checkbook. Right. Teach how to you know what I mean? Teach empathy. Get teach fucking G E D classes. Jesus fucking Christ. Like,
1: <laughs> what the fuck? nope we're My gonna God. teach you how to manipulate humans. I know, a little avant garde, but here we go. And then we're gonna let you out just a little bit early
0: if you take this class, okay? But, that, right, was but, our, me, but that was our for me. that was our idea, right? But that was our idea, exactly. Oh my god, I hate it so much. <laughs> <sighs> um, so you know, at this time, one of his his lady friends oh, or his employees told the judge while he was on trial, like his obviously he had to go back into court, go in front of the judge again, yeah. you know, for this pimping and forging checks. Um, she went up there and. You know, sang like a canary and said, "I'm pregnant," and he, then he's the daddy, and blah blah blah. Sure. I please, please, I'm begging you, blah blah blah. Like, don't, don't let him go in there. Um. Obviously, this was a fucking bold ass lie. It was completely all lies, and she went up there and just you know did a, a beautiful thing. So they stayed his sentence for ten years. So it worked. Wow. Awesome. Oh good. Thanks. She cried. I guess I guess it was a whole like Broadway production. She like went to the floor, she <laughs> cried, pleaded for the judge's forgiveness, like please just help him, blah blah blah. He this is my first child and blah blah blah. Ugh. I really tried hard to find wow. recordings of this, but they, I couldn't find it and that was really sad. I really wanted to see it. Aw. So, you know, he got his his thing stayed. Um so he's out on the loose, you know, pimp game strong right now. <laughs> uh Within five months, uh, he was caught transporting hookers from overcross state lines and Ew. his parole was revoked. Jeez. So this this got him sent back behind bars and he's going to serve that 10 year stint. Yeah. Uh, by the time that he was 26 years old, he had spent 96 percent of his life behind fucking bars. Ninety six percent.
1: Wow. Right. Um, That's institutionalized,
0: though. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get into that, I think, the next episode, actually. But but yes, so in prison, he writes a lot about this was the first time he felt like he could be himself. He was among other people that either didn't give a fuck or they were basically less than him. So they didn't judge him. They didn't do anything because everybody was in there. They didn't want to be in there. And quote unquote, if you've heard shit from people that are locked up, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. You know, so... Yeah,
1: everybody's innocent here. Don't you know that?
0: Right. And he also quoted many, many, many times in a lot of his writings that my body was locked up, but my my head and my heart was actually free. And he didn't feel that on the outs. Okay. You know, and he all... It was really disturbing. Like, I took this part out and put it in one of the final episodes, the final uh, chapter of this story, but... So I don't want to read it. I don't want to like quote it. But it's it's really disturbing some of the stuff he wrote in his journal. Talking about how this stint in prison was actually, you know, how he looked at this as I found my family. There are a lot of people like me. You know, they don't judge me. Like they, it just he, mis- con- he misconstrued this whole situation as, you know, this was the first time I was free. And the, no, I take back misconstrued because it's just really sad that that was the mental state he was in. Um, when he compared this situation to the rest of his life at 26 it's just
1: it's heartbreaking i didn't remember anything at 26 i was so right like just 26 for me was a blur mostly because i was out every weekend doing what i do but even then like 26 years old and being institutionalized is a scary thought because men don't actually mature until they reach a later age than women it's scientifically proven to mature while you're in you know in prison or in jail or serving time for something that you got away with the first time or you know whatever it's like all of these things are happening to you and you can't even process what's going on but honestly like the The rest of the 10 years, however much he spent of that, was it like the longest he had been in prison at the time?
0: All in all, like with what the study said, like his first 32 years of life, 97% of them was in prison. So, or or behind bars, or incarcerated in some sort of way, you know, because he went to those boys' homes, quote unquote, yeah, when he was right. younger. Yes, it's still fucking, it's still a fucking prison in in one way or another. Yeah, but to be politically correct, behind institute in an institution, I guess, yeah. you know, and all he like the reason I titled these episodes about like him finding his family and like family values and because th- that's literally all he wanted his whole life was to find a family, and that is all these things that happened to him nurture wise are what provoked him or at least built the foundation of what became of him later on. Yeah. You know. I mean, and, I
1: could tell already.
0: Yeah. And it's disturbing to me. It really is. I'm not trying to say that what the end result of this of his life, I'm not trying to like back that up or say anything was po- like I'm not trying to say that, that was a a good ending because it by far was disgusting and terrible. But I'm just trying to let you guys know a different side of this story because I think this part needs to be heard too. I think this is just as important.
2: Yeah,
1: it is important. Honestly, you know, like the last two years really, full two years that we've been focusing so hard on mental health because people were not well. Like we don't do cabin fever well. Like it's not ingrained in us to be in a one place that long of a time. So Imagine being in a place, one place, and you don't see anything else. You don't travel anywhere else. You don't do anything else most of your life. We interrupt your regularly scheduled debauchery to talk to you about some other cool cats.
2: Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. The show really feels like just kicking back with us at home and chatting about monsters and tragedies But having a few laughs along the way Just like we'd be doing if the mics were off, frankly (laughs) You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts And on social media at Ain't It Scary Come play with us Forever and ever and ever
1: What do you think? their links are in the description so go check them out you turkeys time to agitate the gravel and get back to Coolsville like
0: I can't imagine it I I can't even fathom to understand what some of these people have gone through
1: yeah like mentally um, mental health right now is so huge right now everyone has the access to talk to a th- licensed therapist at their fingertips now like this was not awarded back then like talking about your mental state oh, not at all no it was yeah. not not even if you were a man and you wanted to go talk to oh, a therapist God, no. oh hell no fuck no that. way
0: right you're just castrating yourself at that point. And if you're and, a woman, you
1: know, you're hysterical. You're, like, oh, you're hysterical. You're hyster-
0: I, was, I was just going to see your, your insides were just floating around, causing r- <laughs> ruckus everywhere. Mass
1: hysteria. I know, right? Oh god, the wandering it's, uterus. We're gonna play one. Wandering uterus. We're gonna play. Um, yeah the hysteria episode from our previous podcast on one of our throwback Thursdays for you guys. And you guys will hear the, you'll hear the wandering uterus and, and how women are so hysterical. But so
0: on that point, since we're still on a little side note, I watched the documentary on Netflix, which just came out like a week ago, mm-hmm. um, The Principles of Pleasure, and they fucking talked about the wandering uterus. And I almost died because literally the first time I had ever heard it was when you reported it on our last podcast. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh, my God. And they had a little picture and I'm like, you know, it's swimming around. And yes. like, oh, my God. It's hilarious. But also like definitely anybody listening, please watch that because it is so mind blowing with all the information that's in it, um, especially women. Check that shit out. Also, Netflix, you know, monetize us. Just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Where you at, though?
0: Right. Uh, so, okay. Moving back to our story. Coming back. Coming back from that. Um, Reel it in. Right. Reeling it in. So, we had, you know, the the pimps that are telling him what they could accomplish. We had, you know, uh, Dale Carnegie giving him his blueprint on life. And now, he's also surrounded by career fucking criminals. These criminals, they are teaching him the ways of how to break and enter yeah. of things. The street, not, not just houses. Fucking people's minds. How to break and enter their mind, and how to get what he wants, and make them think it's their idea.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So he, while he was in this, his ten-year stint, his longest stint, he fell into another group of mind fucks um, (laughs) in this new prison. Okay. They are the group of Scientologists. Yes. Did we even know that was going to come in this story? Because I didn't. I didn't. I didn't until I deep dove into this case.
2: Curveball.
0: yeah, right, right. So this was fully backed and encouraged by this fucking prison, also.
1: Scientology? Uh, wow, okay. Scientology,
0: yeah. And it was also uh, the group that all of the guards of the prison happened to be a part of. So whether or not had that had influence, I'll let you guys decide.
1: Uh Yes. <laughs>
0: Right. Uh. So this prison, this is, uh, this is the same prison, by the way, they wanted you know, reform, they wanted education, they wanted religion, they wanted overall healing. And these were the flavors of, you know, whatever they're throwing in this stew of bullshit.
1: Um, right, because the regular so, shit didn't work. I mean, what are you right, going to do? Exactly. I'm, so, I'm just going to throw things wildly into the air and whatever sticks. Well, I guess we're going to try that this week. Right. It's like
0: these motherfuckers come into a barbecue with bland ass chicken with no seasoning. No, you thanks. seasoning on that fucking chicken, right? <laughs> okay. So they, but you know, these inmates, these, uh, you know, angels of Christ or whatever the fuck they are, uh, supported, you know, I, we embrace the fallen man. We, we boost them to be whatever they would like to reform to be. Blah, 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 bullshit. Okay. So in 1961, Scientology was, you know, it was as good as gold for these people they yeah they i mean this was new and fresh and on the you know oh i like to i like to you know try something new let's see how this goes you know everybody's like wanting to branch out this was almost the time of like the love era so i mean this is like the the starting point of that so manson thought the teachings of l ron hubbard was just his teachings were basically fucking trash and i was like good on you manson hell yeah you know right However, being the postmodern icon that he thought he was, he took the little bits and pieces of, you know, the seasoning that he liked, put it in his pocket and trashed the rest. But he also told them what they wanted in the in the words I do use this all the fucking time. This is a quote from Paris Hilton in 2002. I ain't even fucking with you guys. Because this has been like a really big thing for my whole life, so maybe that falls into that whole Dale Carnegie method. But um, tell people what they want to hear, and then do whatever the fuck you want. Paris Hilton, <laughs> right. two thousand two, find it. Just saying. Anyways, so he took you know what he wanted. He told them what the fuck they wanted to hear, and then he did whatever the hell he wanted. You know, he, like he just he said, "Oh yes, I'm I'm following this. This is a great a great teaching. Blah blah blah." But he in his mind, thought it was basically trash. Um, But he thought it might cut some time off of his stint. So, you know, hey, institutionalization, whatever fucking works, right? Yeah. So he... Let's just think back to this, like, mixing pot of our, like, burgoo, stew, whatever the fuck, like, chili, whatever we have here. (laughs) Okay. We've got a little bit of Scientology. we got the fucking Pimp Chronicles. we got... That Nazarene upbringing where women Ain't shit you know we got Dale Carnegie Of manipulation I mean this is just A little bit of his teachings not to mention We got fucking mommy issues we got No family we got no like Decent upbringing I mean Enough to make you fucking ill
1: Yeah that's already eight things
0: (laughs) That That's where we're at right now and This man is not even 30
1: you know This
0: is that's where we're at So, it should be mentioned that, like, the big thing he took from Scientology would play a huge role in his moral, like, realization of how his future family was, you know, his future family was, like, you know, that after-school snack of, like, all these different fucking things. Right. So, Scientology says, we're all immortal spirits and and our... I feel like this is shitty English. So if I fuck this up a couple times, I apologize. Okay. L. Ron Hubbard. Here we go. We're immortal and our spirits are of our experiences that allows us to transcend this body into a lifetime of other experiences and this planet that we currently are trapped on. Basically, like... Our body, we're just here to have experiences, and then we're gonna take on these experiences and be reformed and go on. You know, all the all the same culty shit that we hear all the time. You yeah, know? we do. So right. So we already recapped, like you know, all the all the pieces of his stew: broken home, mental illness. You know, um, Pimp Chronicles, mommy issues, high IQ, Scientology, Carnegie method, strict religion, institutionalization. Ooh, this life only is you know. Just really excelling into something, I mean, a, a huge manifesto of the orchestra he did not know he was creating, I think.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of when I would come home from school and I would go straight for my Halloween candy bag, which was basically a pillowcase, let's be real. And I would just- Best, op- best way to do it. Best way open to do it. up all my candy and just throw it all in a bowl. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so good. <laughs> and then it's terrible. I know. That's what I feel is happening. You're,
0: you're stuck with like those fucking weird um, like wrapped peanut butter taffy things. The Mary things Janes, are, man? <laughs> I don't know, man. But they were like black and orange and like or like those weird ass strawberry fucking candies. You're like, God damn it.
1: Why is this all we have in here? Like, it's it's almost chocolate
0: and peanut butter. It's almost as
1: sadistic as putting Skittles, M&M's and Reese's Pieces all in a bowl together and not telling anyone. <laughs>
0: Ooh, that sounds like a fun thing of roulette. I it's guess. awful. Not really. <laughs> it sounds terrible. It is. All right, we got all that bullshit. Uh, the final thing I am going to say about Scientology, because I don't feel like they deserve uh, the time of day, is that one of their big focuses is was the life that we live here is only a silver lining of our full potential once we experience um, our higher being. That is what it is. I apologize if we have any Scientology listeners. She does uh, if not we like. Do. Them. If we do, I invite you to message me and let's have an actual discussion. That would be great because maybe I'm uneducated on the matter, but I feel like I'm pretty fairly educated. Because oh. uh, this isn't my only stint in Scientology. So, But I, <laughs> I always welcome a good debate.
1: Yeah, um, she does. So if anyone, uh, anyone wants to reach out to her and let her know what's what, that would be right, pretty cool, me. actually. At me. Uh, yeah. Talking
0: about speaking of education, all this stuff. What? I don't know if you can relate to this, but I certainly can. You got all this fucking mess going on in your life, whatever. So you basically run for the hills and the only thing that you find comfort in, for me, also as well as him, music. Music is where you find your solace. It's where you find your comfort. So he started, you know, getting into the music crowd. He was actually gifted a guitar. It wasn't really gifted, but it was like the prison's guitar. It ended up being gifted because he was the only one using it, but like they got to listen to music, you know, and he, he found his own piece in music in one way or another, which I think is beautiful. And I agree with that. That's amazing. He basically took that, like he clung to that so hard that it became a gigantic part of his adult life. It was, I don't know if it was just, like, that was the first positive thing he grabbed to, and that's just how it was there, or if it was, like, super healing for him, or all the above.
1: Hmm, but he can't. He I became... Bet. I bet it was healing. Yeah.
0: You know, he became super serious about his, quote-unquote, career that would come forth with music. Okay. So he had regular jam sessions with, like, the prisoners that, you know... Either played music or they wanted to, you know, do whatever kind of jam things they want to do, and and good on them. Um, yeah, do
1: do what so, helps pass the time too.
0: This right, and this also is probably the most fucking healthy thing he did in his whole life at this point. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: right, he, so far. But this this also had him cross paths with a career criminal. His name was Alvin Creepy Corpus. What? Yeah. So Alvin, in the nineteen thirties, he was a known bank robber. Um, But he played the meanest steel guitar that was ever known in his, you know, mecca of where he lived. This guy was a fucking beast on the guitar. So he found himself in this same prison and decided, you know, he was also in these jam sessions. And basically taught him how to properly play the guitar. Amped him up, you know, like, really was his biggest cheerleader in this and that. Um, Had conversations with him. I mean... Not the most positive dude, but it had a positive outlook. You know, he was just saying, yeah, you know, you're really good. I'm going to teach you like the logistics of it. You know, let's let's get something. He's giving him a sort of hope that he did not have before in a positive outlet.
1: That there are good people that are willing to help him every now and again out there. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was fruitful
0: in many ways. So let's think of the times. Right now we're sitting in 1964. The British Invasion was just
1: the Beatles,
0: monstrous. Woo! The fucking Beatles,
1: yeah, it sure um, was. Ask my mom; she so, loves them,
0: right? And I am not gonna say anything bad about the Beatles at all. No. So, but also, you know, they were allowed radios, not in like a, a large capacity uh, in the prison, but you know, during these jam sessions, they were allowed to listen to music. So it went from like certain kinds of music to literally all the Beatles all okay. the time everything and if you know Manson's story you know the Beatles the White Album all that had a big influence on him
1: yeah the White Album I'm curious to know how how many of our listeners actually know what the White Album is
0: I'm curious too so definitely like add us like talk to
1: us let us know yes
0: so you know I mean literally like everyone fucking else in the entire fucking world he became a Beatles fan
1: oh yeah sure Beatlemania
0: Right. He engulfed himself in the music of the Beatles. Like, and of course, like the only thing he could hear was there was no records. There was nothing like that. Like, it was just what was on the radio. So whatever the popular shit was at the time, they, the guards, whoever allowed him to listen to it during these like jam sessions.
1: Oh, wow. he He's only listened to one side of the Beatles at that point. Right.
0: But remember that pocket I keep referring to that he keeps putting stuff in? Yeah, You know, that one, like...
1: His little special. He doesn't have a pack of smokes
0: to... Yeah, he doesn't have a pack of smokes to put in there at this time. So, you know, he's got to have other things. <laughs> okay. So, he's just collecting, you know, inspirations and, you know, no smokes, but like full of festival pens and shit. Right? Okay. That's what... <laughs> okay. We're going back to that. So, um, he put the Beatles and their writings and their lyrics in that pocket. So, he... Saving that shit for later. Okay. So, like an overweight housewife and her fucking snack wells, he was, like, ready to fucking go. He loved how famous they were. He was obsessed with it. He had his guitar. He had a huge intrigue, like, to everything that they had to say. It was basically his God at this point. I mean, don't want to say it that way, but that's kind of what this was. Okay. His following. So, the Beatles also gave him an outlook that was the most positive that he's known at this point in time in his life. So he started manifesting goals to be on the same path as them. But the more Kool-Aid he drank, the more manipulated his thoughts got. And he said, you know, he's got, you know, what's his face over here, like, picking at the guitar with him and telling him he's so great, he's so wonderful, this and that. And he's thinking, fuck the Beatles. I'm going to be bigger than them. I'm going to reach more headlines than them. I'm going to make my name bigger than theirs. And my name will be carried out throughout history. Wow! and of course, old Alvin boy is just saying, yeah, bro. Yeah, dude, totally for sure. We're doing this. And then you can mention me and I helped you and we're going to be iconic. We're going to be like everything. Okay.
1: Yeah. That Um, that pocket, you know, I feel like pocket. I feel like this person that was helping him with the guitar and all the lessons and everything may he probably made Manson think that it was his idea.
0: Oh, I'm sure he fucking did. I'm sure he fucking did. <laughs> yeah. So, in like okay, so he's having these jam sessions which are whatever. Every minute that he is not in these jam sessions, he is writing music. He is writing music 24/7. He is staying up at night. He is lit off his fucking gourd with this like obsession. With making an album better than The Beatles, he is going to be bigger than The Beatles. Good luck. So we had a good thing. It got a little twisted. Now it's into a not mentally healthy, stable environment for him. Uh, no, which is sad because it's being constructed in his own head. You know, right, right. So during this time, he attracted himself a new a new bestie by the name of Phil Kaufman. Uh, and Phil Kaufman, uh. Shockingly enough, was entangled with the LA music scene. You know, we're in oh, LA, snap. like he's th- Right. So Manson took this as, okay, this is a fucking person I manifested. He's here. Yeah. We're doing this. Like yeah, he this was is brought to me to achieve this goal. Yes, of course. He was doing pretty well for himself, and uh, Phil being, you know, he was deep in the music scene, but you know with the music scene at that time comes a lot of candy. He got himself caught on a a traffic stop with some drug charges, you know, uh, whatever. Right. Uh, but he was in the joint and he worshiped Charlie's music. He said, your writings are great. You know, I mean, and let's be honest, the most beautiful works of art are from damaged ass people. They really are. That's what creates beautiful art, you know? So, it he loved how eloquently, like, Charlie wrote his lyrics, you know, how he just made what he called poetry on paper. He said it was just he would have never thought to do it that way. You know, I mean, he's got people gassing his ass up, like, left <laughs> and right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so he feels like, bro, like, listen, there's this guy on the outs. His name is Gary Strongberg. And he works at Universal Studios in the music division. I think he owes me a favor still, maybe. Oh, yeah, okay. it's like that, that definite, I think maybe. I think maybe um, a
1: favor, kind of.
0: <laughs> but also, I promise you, I promise you if you go talk to him, it will be good. He, I promise.
1: Like No, I so, don't say that word at all. And this was like,
0: uh, Charlie talked about later in his writings, like, this was a seed that was planted and germinated and like, you know, brought to full fruition. Like he just, he said, he promised him so many times that it became a law in his head. You know, you tell somebody, yeah, it was just like so much like a fucking like promoter that just won't leave you the hell alone, you know?
1: Um, (laughs) Right. You're the next big hit. You're the next big. Yes,
0: exactly. So in his like, amidst all of his basically obsession, life inclusion in like music in his head. Now it's saying the LA, the LA LA is where it is. There's a dude there at universal studios waiting to make you a fucking star, dude. You are going to be a star. And he promised me to do it. Just say my name. You are in VIP. That is, that is all you. So,
1: and I can just picture this guy sitting at the desk and looking at Charles Manson and going, no, I'm good. Thanks. (laughs) Like, exactly.
0: I who know. Who is right? that
1: bold that's just going to walk up to a music producer and go, this is it. This is what you need. Like, I know I it's been done before well, in some instances, but, you know.
0: Oh, he does it. He does it multiple times. But, oh, yeah. Um, Charlie. Yeah. He uh, you know, he clings to this because. Right. Like I said, he's been clinging to whatever the fucking hope is being dangled in front of his face. And this guy is sitting here and taking it to pound town and just doing it over and over and promising and promising. So he's building a trust with this man that he doesn't know because he doesn't know any fucking better.
2: He
1: doesn't. So he hasn't been in society enough to know that people are duping him left and right over and over again. And
0: like... And music is the one thing where he gets to, you know, basically he's fucking journaling for the first time. So this is making him feel mentally healthier, you know, because journaling is healthy. Um, He's got this other guy that is telling him, like, that is a legit, probably a good dude. I mean, he's a bank robber, but I mean, he (laughs) was a good musician. He taught him the logistics of being a musician. So good on him. You know, he gave him a positive thing and he was, you know, teaching him a healthy outlet of all of his thoughts that are going on in his head.
1: Right. You know, and... I agree with so that. So there's good
0: there's good pieces, but like this fucking idiot comes in. Ugh, I can just even picture. I would love to find a picture of him. I think I might look him up. Phil Phil Kaufman. Let's let's look up a picture. But okay. like he's just a fucking ass hat that just <laughs> came in there and, and you know sprinkled on, you know the flavor that he probably is used to sprinkling on in his drug-infested Universal Studios life. Not the Nickelodeon era era because that was probably the better one. But, like, taking his, like, his mental health, like, good rants and good, like, positive things from that and just engulfing it into something fucking negative and just false hope. It just, yeah. I'm rambling because it makes me fucking irritated. Yeah, makes false me hope. That's what I was thinking of yeah. too.
1: Like, you know, all of these things sound really good when you're within these four walls, but you have no idea what the hell is going on out there. And, for and he has this, nothing
0: to compare it to. For
1: this man to step in, get busted for all of his bullshit he did out there, come into Charlie's life while he's already being taught how to, you know, fine tune his m- musical prowess basically. And this dude's like, Oh, on the outside, you know, you could be the next big thing. Like, I would I just promise you. I promise. I promise. I've heard so many guys before, and nobody does it like you, man. Yeah. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, he knows nothing. He knows nothing of society in that respect. And you're just coming in here, like, Yeah, bro. Like, let's do this. It's so terrible. Right. I guess
0: being a person that went through such like a mental like roller coaster with a lot of like dealing with my own shit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As, as most of us have, as you know, you have everybody really has that's been through anything in their life. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you're listening to this story and you're like, oh, cool. There's a f- there is a legit like a morsel of fucking hope that maybe this, you know, this person who has, you know, nature wise has been. Built a decent uh you know construct nature's not fucking you up right here like it's giving you a healing factor that you you know it it is a gift from whatever the fucking universe part of it is, is giving you a gift, and you know there's a a morsel of hope that you're not gonna be what you end up becoming being, you know what I mean yeah, and then this guy comes in with his fucking I just ugh, smelling like armpits and grease hair, like talking all this game and you know what I mean? You're taking that little positive that he has the first time. Well, maybe, you know, I mean, there's been multiple, like many things in his life, but you know, you're taking that little like grain of positivity in his life or like hope or like actual hope. And you're just pissing all over it and yeah. then giving him a, another flavor of what you think is a promise, but it's just more fucking false hope. So that, that, you know, and that all started in 64 and now it's, you know, 1967, March 21st. And due to all the good, the good efforts that he has racked up and there was a overpopulation of prison and a lot of political factors, another election year, he was let out on good behavior. Um, He was released, uh, no probation, you know, honestly, given another pretty solid thing, like, okay, we're released. I mean, because... You know, if you're you know parole, no probation, you know, you're you're getting out, your your shit's cut, you're not on paper anymore, bro. Like that's dope. <laughs> but he is to the point where he didn't want to go. He was super comfortable in the life and the things that he had built there. He begged, fell to his knees, cried to the parole board, the officials, to the warden, to anybody that would listen, saying I will not survive on the outs. I cannot survive. I've not lived out there. Please don't make me go. Let me sit in here where things are normal. Please don't force me to do this.
1: No, that's so sad, man.
0: And there was, there's multiple like, and that was like in his own writings, that was his words, but there's multiple um, things you can find online that corroborate this story yeah. from prison officials at the time. So, it, I mean, it's pretty well known that he begged not to be released early. Regardless, that's not how a prison works. So he got out. Uh, they allowed him to take his guitar with the prison's guitar with him, though. Um, so he's you know, s- if you can picture this, literally standing outside the gate, n- nothing, no fucking clothes except for what he was arrested in. You know what? However many years ago, a uh, guitar in his hand, no friends, no one to call, no family, and fucking terrified.
1: Right. What do you do? And just... Uh, right. Where do I go? He...
0: No, yeah. Like, where the fuck do I go? So, clinging to, you know, what he's learned while he was in prison, he decides to revisit some connections that he made while he was behind bars, um, calls a few friends, and sees where that takes him. And that is where we're going to end it today. Oh, and sad. when we come back... Right. Got to leave you on a cliffhanger, but... You know, we're in L.A., we're out of prison, and clearly that family he tried to build there also was a failure. So we're going to, you know, we're going to head to Berkeley next time. We're going to head to, you know, the, the Summer of Love, the Beatles, all that. The shit that is like what most people know about the story. That's where we're going right. to enter next time.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, we, we've we been building up his mental anguish the last couple episodes.
0: Right. And, you know, and just
1: like I asked in the first episode,
0: I want you guys to think about it. Let this shit marinate. And because there was a lot in here, a lot of different factors. And I want you to, you know, come into the next episode and really like think, is he really that sadistic of a, torture killer or was the is he just a product of what fucking happened to him, you know?
1: Right. I don't know. You're you're kind of turning you're kinda twisting my mind back and forth here. So we'll see. I know, I know. We'll see how it's, this uh... ends up. Right. <laughs> but uh you know our previous episode that we released with uh the Lesimo show, hey what's up? Um Hey. They So
0: fun. So
1: fun. We yes, we covered the lipstick killer and I wanted to share a little something with you. I forgot to share it on social media, but I want to share something with you before I get into the social media aspect. But uh they said something about the knife, right? And how they found it on the train tracks. He threw it out the okay. train. Well right. If the knife was linking all of them, then how did they know that it was sticking out of the second woman's neck? So it right. had it had to have been planted if that was the knife that was used, because it was literally in the chick's neck when they found her.
0: Man, so, and we already know how I feel about that. About food, that food you for know, thought. You know who I was right.
1: Yeah, so. I
0: mean, we're, give, we're giving a whole bunch of food for thought here.
1: Mm-hmm, but yeah, so speaking of socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Monsters of the Midwest. We post every so often. We post pictures that we talk about in the episodes that we release every Tuesday. We are going to start doing Throwback Thursdays from Uh, our old podcast now that is not only true crime that's all sorts of other stuff so if you don't want to hear it on Thursdays you know you might skip those episodes but you probably might like them because we're goofballs we didn't really get audio back then it was kind of just a toss-up but
0: but but we had some good conversation about random ass topics that you know it shows our personality and it's authentic and and, you know it you know it, it was fun it was a good time and you'll like it (laughs) right i think you guys will i think you guys will um yes also also rate us and subscribe like leave us comments whatever the fuck you want to do on apple podcast because thank you so i can't even like finish my my spiel because thank you guys so much for the activity that you've put on apple because our algorithms have been linked to two very very popular podcasts and we're through the moon, and we literally probably almost shit our pants when we saw it because it Maybe. is just mind boggling. Yeah, I mean not me, but I mean still, you know.
1: We um, we loved that our minds were boggled.
0: Yes, I just I can't thank the people that have done that enough. I just y- you made the the girl with the resting bitch face all the time cheese like smile she, with teeth unconditionally for like yes, it was so great. I. Appreciate you guys so much. Yeah. So keep doing what you're doing. I mean, thank you.
1: And last but certainly not least, we can't leave here without telling you the Code of the Midwest. Don't talk to them strangers that are standing outside the prison. Don't go anywhere alone. And please,
0: please, please lock your doors. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.